message this morning is entitled, God Loves You. It's a phrase, it's a sentence that you've probably heard somewhere before, and it's one of those sentences or phrases that actually can bounce right off your skin. You say it, you see it on the sidewalk, uh, you see it on a mug or a calendar, or somebody says it to you, and it may or may not sink in. I was at my 20-year high school reunion a few years ago, and I went on a tour of the building. It's right downtown here. I graduated from Central High School here in Grand Forks. And I don't know if I'd even been in the building maybe a time or two in those 20 years uh, span. And I'll say that I walked around, and I remember walking in the front, and I was like, this is familiar. I remember these stairs. I remember coming up these stairs, or the side stairs where I often walked into. But as I walked around, there was a few times where I was like, where am I? I don't know where I am. This, This is not, there were hallways that weren't there before. There were rooms. There were walls that were gone. There were ceilings that were brought down. I don't know how you do that exactly, but it was strange. And looking at what was inside of the classrooms was different too. When I went to high school, we had to write papers and we had to type them out as well, but you actually had to sign up for a time slot on a list to go to a computer lab so that you could use a computer. I don't think anyone does that now because you just you go to first day of class and they hand you one pretty much or sign you out or there's a rack of them in your schoolroom. Technology changes. Yeah, there were chalkboards in classrooms when I went to high school. I don't know if they are anymore or if it's all like a screen that you touch and you can put pictures on it or I, I don't even know right now because my 20-year reunion was actually farther in the review mirror than I'm willing to admit today. <clears throat> In 20 years, I'd driven by that high school hundreds of times. I've seen my alma mater many, many times. Many times, both sides, all sides of the building. But I hadn't really taken a close look at what's inside. And sometimes we can do that with our faith, aspects of our faith. And I think actually the title this morning is kind of like my high school when it comes to our faith. The phrase, God loves you, can be something we drive by, we listen, we acknowledge, we see so many times. But we don't really take a deep look inside at what is really there for us to explore and understand. That's what we're doing in this series that we are in the middle of. It's called, Do You Really Believe? Because most of these things, many people do believe, or at least they say they believe, or that we say we believe, But what we're asking is, have we taken a closer look that that has really sunk down deep into our hearts and our minds and our souls? So we're looking at familiar truths like this morning, God loves you is probably familiar to most every person who's here, no matter what your church background is or isn't. The verse we're looking at this morning is John 3.16, which is a verse that you might know like the kids did or you've heard, or even if you haven't, you've seen that phrase somewhere before, super familiar and taking a little close, closer look at it. John 3.16, I will say this, shouts something, and it shouts, you are loved, or maybe you are beloved. It's God saying, if you really take a look at what this is saying here, it is time for you, as they sang in that song, 
for you to own your belovedness. If you really know how much I love you, it's time for you to own what I'm saying to you, to make it yours, to bring it home. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life or everlasting life, depending on how you know it. It's about 26 words. I think most translations, it's 26 words. And what those 26 words reveal are a lot about us, about God's character, about his, redemption, his redemptive acts towards people. It really is a concise summary. If you take a long look at it and don't just let it bounce off of you, like maybe you did when the kids were even saying it, not really thinking about those words, take a close look, a careful, deliberate look. It actually is a concise summary of what the message of Christianity is all about, which is probably why it's the most well-known verse in the Bible. It's not just an intellectual or philosophical observation about God, about truths about God. It actually is a declaration of God's love for you, for me, and for every person. Have you guys heard of the Hope Diamond? The Hope Diamond, it's a diamond. I, I think it's like about this big, something like that. It's a blue diamond. It's the most valuable blue diamond in the world. There's not very many of them. It's actually not the most valuable diamond in the world. There are a few that are estimated to be more valuable than that. You can look that up if you're curious. I was, so I did. But it is one of the most valuable gemstones in the world. And it's definitely the most famous gemstone in the world. It's worth about $250 million estimated value. It's never been to auction. It is currently housed in the Smithsonian. Uh, Max Lucado is a pastor uh, in Texas. He's an author, very well-known author. He actually wrote a book on this verse that we're talking about. I haven't read the entire book but I've read portions of it, listened to portions of it of he, and he, as he's talked about it. And he says this, John 3.16 is the hope diamond of the Bible. I think he's right. I think he's right. I hope that by the end of this morning, you will think he's right as well. We're going to look at each phrase, four phrases of this verse, and make a few observations. The first one in John 3.16 says, For God so loved. And the first observation is that God loves you. Um, it's been said by multiple people that the thing, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. And seeing and understanding and believing that God is a God of love is extremely important. And he doesn't just trickle it out. He doesn't just give us a little bit of it when we need a little bit of it. It's sort of like a constant. I, I have the privilege um, of having visited Niagara Falls because my, my mom grew up near Niagara Falls and we would visit there. When I was a kid, I saw it multiple times. And it's a good image. Like, so we have a creek in our backyard and it's not very pretty right now because we haven't had a lot of rain. It's fairly green and it's not really moving a whole lot, but it is slowly making its way into the Red River. God's love is like the Niagara Falls as far as how much it's coming to you. Now, if you've been there, you, that, that image makes sense to you. If you haven't, you can go online and watch videos or see pictures. It still won't really make sense until you're there. You can actually feel Niagara Falls before you see it. The earth moves because <laughs> there's so much water going over the edge. 
God's love is like a Niagara Falls that never stops. Ephesians 3, which Josie read out of, uh, really talks about a, a dimensionless or beyond at least our physical reality dimensions of God's love. And what keeps us from experiencing God's love is a big question. Why does the phrase, God loves you, why does that not impact us, or God loves me, as deeply? Um, it may have been, there's lots of reasons for that. Sometimes we just get too familiar with things. Sometimes we just need to think about it in a fresh way. Sometimes our personal experiences have an impact on how we experience love, period, by other people. Uh, maybe we had a great mom and dad who showed us what love was like at home. You know, one, of the, one, one way of showing love is physical affection, um, just giving hugs, uh, being physically affectionate. But there's lots of other ways. Can I read you some of the ways that God expresses his love for you and I? Psalm 149 says that he delights in you, in his people. He delights in you. We've started to use at our home the language of the word delight. You probably don't use it that often. I didn't used to use it that often, but it's becoming more part of our vocabulary. It's actually a really good word to use because it's a word that God uses frequently. He delights in you. In Isaiah 62.5, maybe you've seen this. Uh, you've, probably seen, you've probably been to a wedding before, and there's a couple points in the wedding where who you're looking at is really kind of like the highlight of the show. Uh, for instance, when the bride is finally, the pastor says, everybody rise, and you know the bride is at the back. Some people like to look at the bride, and some people like to look at the groom, and some people like to go like this to make sure they don't miss anything because there's a lot that's getting communicated on the faces of those two people. Isaiah 62.5 says this, that as a groom, so God rejoices over you. His face is lit up like a groom on his wedding day. In Isaiah Zephaniah 3.17, now, I don't know if you've ever been uncomfortable by how somebody has expressed out loud how much they care about you. Have you been, like, this is a little awkward, um, or maybe for somebody else, when somebody else is, like, so this, is, this would be awkward for me and maybe for most of you. God actually is described in Zephaniah 3 as a God who delights, which we've talked about you, and he rejoices in you, and he actually dances over you. Has anybody danced over you? Have you done that in public? I love this person so much. And sings over you. I would just feel really uncomfortable if anyone did that for me. I don't know about you, but that's what God does for you and I, friends. He, when you are filled with cares, Psalm 94 says, if you've ever felt like I'm feeling overwhelmed when you're feeling full of cares, when you are filled with cares, he is full of comfort for you. I love Psalm 145 where he says, the Lord God helps all who fall. You ever feel like I've, I'm stuck? He helps all who fall. And then in Psalm 145, 18, it actually rhymes in the English, and he is near to all who call on him. He's just ready to come. You need help? Call. He's there. He's ready to come. In Psalm 16, 11, it's God's presence is described as this. When someone really loves you, 
and you know that they love you, and you feel that they're actually putting that out towards you, it's really nice to be in that person's presence, isn't it? We, we generally like to be around people who like us or who love us. This is the presence of God. God's presence is described as, in Psalm 1611, one that's a, full of abundant joy and eternal pleasures because he loves the people who come into his presence. So this morning, really the big question was really introduced by that special that I asked. Um, I too have wept many times as I've listened to that song. Is, have you owned your belovedness? Have you owned it? Uh, you can find that song, by the way, it's by Sarah Kroger. If maybe your practical application is, I'm just going to listen to that a few times and let God love me through the words of that song. So he, God loves. That's the first thing. I can, I'm going to do a four-word version of my sermon this morning. God loves is the first two. The second is God gives. He gave. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Love gives. Uh, there's a many different words for Greek words for love. I'm not going to talk about all of them, but one of them that didn't mean a whole lot until Christianity adopted it is the word agape. Didn't have a lot of teeth to it. Eros was like romantic and sexual love. Uh, Filio was like friendship love. There's other other words for love. Agape was sort of a general word that didn't have a whole lot until the Bible writer started to use it to describe God's love. And then it came with all kinds of new definition. God loves gives. He gives and he gives. And so the second observation is that God gives generously to you. As Sarah mentioned, you and I would not give any of our children to anyone under any circumstances, ever. You wouldn't. The phrase one and only son is really worth camping out on. God has lots of children. He made all people in one sense, all people are his children because they're all his creation. There's another sense that people can be adopted into God's forever family. And that's what Je this message of Jesus is about, is that if you put your faith and trust, you can be adopted into God's forever family. Not just one of his creations, but one of his close family members. There's only one person who is God's one and only son, and that phrase is the one who is exactly like God in essence, and the only one like that, and that's Jesus. He's divine and he's man. And God the Father, in a sense, gave his most precious treasure, his one and only, to convince you and me that he loves us. And Jesus went and did it because he wanted you to be loved by him as well. So God loves, and secondly, God gives. And here's the first, uh, the, the, second, the second, third phrase is, whoever believes, and whoever believes in him, whoever believes, you are invited as a whoever to believe. Whoever believes. Anyone can do this. Whoever believes. Whenever God finds you in life, there's never a time in your life when you don't qualify. 
Whatever's going on in your life, it doesn't matter what's going on, you qualify. Whatever has happened in your life, it doesn't matter, you qualify. Whatever you think you've done that might keep you from his love, it doesn't matter, you are still a whoever. Whoever believes. He wants to love you forever. You don't have to think a certain way. You don't have to vote a certain way. You don't have to know all the right answers. Your life doesn't have to be cleaned up. Whoever believes qualifies. The word for believe is pastuo, and that word is has a lot of different meanings. It means like you think something's true. That's part of it. You're persuaded by it. You put your confidence in it. You entrust yourself to it. You commit to it. Sort of like this in the winter, that river over there that's just across the street a few blocks will be frozen. And you and I know we can walk across it whenever you want, but some of you are afraid you'll never do it. You know that ice will hold you up, but you're not going to try it out. And that's kind of sometimes what we do with God's love. I, I know he does, and I know he'll trust me out, but until you walk out and allow only his love to be holding you up, you don't really believe, according to the scriptures. So you guys, we can win. You can't win God's love. It's not something you can earn by having good behavior. And guess what? You can't lose it either by bad behavior. You can do two things with it. You can receive it, or you can reject it. But you can't earn it, and you can't lose it. Whoever believes, God loves, God gives. Whoever believes will receive. There's my four, eight-word sermon. Shall not perish, but have eternal life. Every whoever who believes will receive God's gift of eternal life. Christ's life. It's not just like, I got my free ticket to heaven. It's like, he's going to come and live in you today forever. You will have it. God, uh, this is a hard part of the verse because it talks about perishing. That really is like eternally perishing, being separated from God forever, judgment. The word hell will be connected to that. I don't really like preaching about it, to be honest. It's something that's not super comfortable. But guess what? Jesus spoke about judgment 13% of the time. You can look that up. 13% of the time, his message was about this is, this is a reality that we have to. I've actually come to believe this. The fact that God judges is actually a kindness. That, that, there's, that he gives it as an option. Whoever believes will receive. But you don't have to. God's not a micromanager. He's not an over-controller. He's not going to force any one of his created kids to do this thing that he wants them to do. He's going to invite them. And then if they say, no, thank you, he respects that choice. I actually think that's kind. Would you want to be in a heaven where everyone was forced to be there whether they wanted to or not? Would it be heaven? It couldn't be. It couldn't be. 1 Timothy 1.16 says this, For that very reason, this is Paul who wrote a bunch of the Bible, the New Testament, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his immense patience. He has a lot of patience with us. For those who would believe him 
and receive eternal life. That's the option. That's the opportunity we have in this verse. God loves, God gives, whoever believes will receive. Friends, I think today it's time for you and I to own our belovedness. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've never put your faith in Christ. You've never said, I'm going to trust in Jesus. With, I'm going to trust my life to Jesus just like I would have to trust that ice in the middle of winter to hold me up. I'm going to trust only in Jesus to hold me up. You can accept him today. You can put your trust in him today. Today you can do that. That he loved you, that God the Father loved you, By the way, it was a team effort. Jesus loved you enough. He was on board with this plan to be sent into the world to show his love to you and me by offering his life in exchange for our lives. So he died on a cross so that we won't have to have to die on the cross. You can do that today. And actually, I know that someone on the prayer team after the service is over would love to pray with you and help you take that step of faith. If you want to do that, please come down this morning. If you've made that choice, I want to challenge you this. Will you cling to the truth that you are beloved? I actually like to put the word beloved in front of that now because God loves you is sort of, it bounces off me too, but that I am beloved hits me a little different. It helps me to own it a little bit more deeply. There's lots of messages in the world as some of the lyrics in that song that... uh, Kayla and Josie and Marie saying, there is messages from our past. There's what other people say. It's what I see in the mirror. Lies that were not just enough. God says this, you are beloved. I smiled when I made you. You are mine. I am so glad that you're mine. I made you just the way I want you, and I'm never going to stop loving you. And we're going to share communion this morning right now. And what Jesus did when he instructed us to do this thing is he said, take this bread that we're going to break, and it's a reminder of my love for you, that I allowed my body to be broken for you. And when you drink this juice, it's a reminder of my blood that I allowed to be shed so that you could receive my love, that I could be, you, you can be with me forever. And that's what we remember when we remember communion. We remember that Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed for a reason so that we could be invited into his forever family by believing in him. So I'll pray and then you're welcome to come on up here. If you've put your faith in Christ, you believe, you want to remember what he did for you, come and join us at the table. And then we'll close with the song. At the end, we're actually going to sing Uh, most of the verse this morning in our closing song, For God So Loved. But would you stand with me? And then I'll pray. And then those in the front can come right down. The rest of you can sit down until uh, it's your turn to come up. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for never stopping loving us. Thank you that there's nothing we can do to earn it, nothing we can do to lose it. All we can do is receive it or reject it. Lord, help us all to receive it more deeply into our hearts. If there's anyone here who's been holding you off, Lord, I pray that you would win them over and allow them to let that wall down so that you might might love them, that they might let you love them, that they might believe in you and receive your love. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Front row, you can come right out. The rest of you can be seated.